You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right, welcome to the Human Condition Podcast. I'm Vince Orlando. I'm Sean Davis. How you doing, Sean? Pretty good. How you doing today? I'm fantastic, man. Fantastic. Aside from the Royal Oak traffic, well, it's everywhere. Just, yeah, the everywhere. Just uh, southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit traffic, north south. It don't matter where you go. Orange everywhere. Keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah. Look out for the orange. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so today we're talking about non-attachment. Um, there goes the first um. You know what I? I think it's all right. I, I think while I'm speaking, I'm, I'm really contemplating these things while I and then I, I need to pause and take in the things that I say. I recognize that about myself when I'm really speaking about something that I'm passionate about. Is I'm non-attachment and detachment same thing? Yes. So, right. so non-attachment is really a passive way of saying detachment. Detachment, it, it can sound kind of harsh, right? Right. The law of detachment, detached. So this is a concept that's often rejected even by people who've, because who've, uh, this is an Eastern philosophy. It's really not Eastern philosophy, but it, it, it does resonate higher in Eastern traditions, right? Right. So Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, a bunch of isms. But then when you, you look at somebody like Jesus Christ and what he was saying when he said, turn the other cheek. Non-attachment. It, non-attachment. That's yeah. that's really what the parable's about. It's He's got smacked in the face. Yeah. Turn to the other cheek. Turn the other <laughs> cheek. So... So it really is detachment. And why is it detachment? It's detachment because, well, really the dichotomy of being a human being, if you're a spiritual being having a human experience, we talked about duality a long time ago, which I believe we are. There's, there, even if you are from the materialist worldview, the first law of thermodynamics, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. So there's some permanence to us beyond these bodies. So even in that regard. Permanence in an impermanent life. In an impermanent life. So what energy can do is change forms. But it exists to infinity. First law of thermodynamics. First law. Not the second, not the third. You know, so when you're born, there's something called attachment theory. Attachment theory revolves around how infants attach to their caregivers. Now, when I read the theory, I, I look at it more as how do they connect? That, that's how I see it is how do they connect? Is the connection meaningful? Even if it's perceived as not meaningful, it's still meaningful because it, it sets up who you are for the rest of your life. So from the time you're born, your attunement is based on the response that you get from whoever acts as your primary caregivers. If And there's predominantly three ways that you become attached when you're an infant. There's secure, and that's where the parents are extremely responsive to the child's need, or the caregivers are extremely responsive to the child's need. There's a connection there to where they can read each other's facial expressions, they respond accordingly, They're, the, the frequency is, is intact. Then there's then there's uh, beyond secure, there is – what is – so there's avoidant attachment and then there's anxious attachment. The, the child who suffers from the anxious attachment, they're prone to fits 
or when they become adults, they, they will make noise to, to uh, have somebody tune into their needs. So that's the way they go about it. Avoidant is the person. And I, I think I, I, I centered a lot in the avoidant category because I was the type of person who would say, look, I was beat as a kid. I look, who I, look who I turned out. I would really dismiss the pain that I had gone through. But regardless, attachment nonetheless. So you attach to that and then there's disorganized attachment. And that's where people with PTSD, 90% of them fall into the category of disorganized attachment where, where the, the parent or the caregiver is both a source of security and fear. And, and, and you're disorganized and there's really no one way to act and you're, you're pretty much led by your emotions. Now, that's in, in the spiritual traditions, that is what we're detaching from. So when you come, in, come into this earth, you can't function for yourself. You need to attach to whatever source of life you have around you. You need that. And in these attachments that are formed at a very young age, you let you learn to latch on it's a survive, survival mechanism as a human being you carry that into later life even in secure attachment a secure attachment allows you to cope in a way to where now we're getting into the the uh, eastern philosophy meaning of the word detachment you're not you're not you're not stuck in your thoughts, in I, your beliefs of what you think the world should be, you're not stuck there. You're able to navigate through life and whatever it throws at you in a in a more in a more grounded fashion. How can you practice non-attachment without present time awareness? You can't. So there's no way of me practicing non-attachment when I'm younger. No, no, you're going to be attached, right? And and that again, that's why. It's detached. It truly is detachment, but a more passive way of saying a more non-threatening way of, of laying the concept out there is non-attachment, right? It just sounds non-attachment. I'm not going to be attached. I, but it, it truly is detachment from what it is to exist in the human condition. Now, this is en route to Christ consciousness, right? To, to that a lot of people don't aspire to that, don't care. But for those of us who do, and, and they will say in the Buddhist traditions that the root of all human suffering is attachment. Right. I mean, well, <clears throat> excuse me. For instance, all those that are attached to material items, their house, their car, their money, their 401k, diamond rings, jewelry, shit, cell phones, whatever. Um, those attachments have meaning till their to their ego right you know my ego will be attached to those things and i'm usually talking about lower vibrational frequency human beings it is lower vibration you know if, if i'm attached to those things um the material world anything that can be taken from me you know and then something gets taken and then all hell breaks loose because my ego's completely in panic and shock and you know, now I'm now I need to go acquire more because there's an attachment to my ego that feels better when I'm accumulating more stuff. Mm-hmm. It was easy for me to detach from the material world. Now, 
Do I know how much money is in my checking account? I do. Do I check it every day? No. Uh, I kind of have a ledger. Things kind of, you know, am I attached to it? No. Um, am I in present time awareness? Not all the time, but I try to be. Uh, if I'm focusing in the future, if I'm looking at my relationships, uh, these attachments are always going to be in the play, like your boss, your business partner. Mm-hmm. There's attachment to your company. There's got to be some. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing because <clears throat> aside from what we might perceive as ego-driven desire, so these material things, the watches, the cars, the, the things that we can acquire materially, attachment goes far deeper than that. And it's really attachment to ego as the absolute truth. Really all the concept of detachment or non-attachment, however you want to word it, all that is, and, and this is to me a more beautiful way of expressing this, is the embracing of impermanence. So all I'm doing when I say I detach from these ideas that I should have this job, that my company should, what makes me think? So I set a goal for my company, right? I want X amount of dollars by the fifth year in business. We're on track to do that. Now, me five years ago, prior to where I am in my PTSD therapy and all that, me five years ago, I'm attached to that goal in a very unhealthy way. So when I don't achieve that goal, if that winds up being the case, it rocks me to my core, to my core, and in a way that I go into a state of fight or flight, and I probably wind up in the abyss because in my head, I think that because I set the goal, I should achieve that. You're attached to that goal. What happens if the IRS comes in and shuts you down in two days? Still affects me. If I'm right. attached to it, it shut, devastates me because I'm a shitty person. Or is it that you're attached to the means of the security it provides for you? No, no, no. Uh, because if if it's just the means of security, I can deal with the lumps as they come. So you really can't be attached to outcome in any way, shape, or form. It's good to have a goal. And I think it was Galen McDowell. He said uh, – we, we did this workshop with him. And he said – and I don't know where he got it from, but – all a goal is is a unit of measurement, and that's how you have to take it. So when I have this goal, I can look at the goal, and I can I can see where I am in present time and say, okay, I can measure whether or not I'm on the right track to accomplish this thing. But if I am attached to the outcome, if I am attached to that outcome, it will rock me to my core. So, you know, I've been in relationships, right, with, with women. All they want to do is get married because they were taught at a very young – well, you get the fairy tales and all that shit. And, and then you're in a family and you're a failure if you don't get married. Your whole life is predicated on the man you get. For me, but as that's a, a societal – It's an attachment. If you agree to that – you've read the four agreements, right? Yeah. So if you agree to that – and look, we're – before we're us, before we can develop our own moral compass, we're programmed like computers. So if that's what we're taught at a very young age, we got to spend the rest of our lives trying to detach from that idea. Otherwise, when we don't accomplish this, and, and, and again, you know, a thing like marriage, 
You have nothing to do with what goes on out here. You don't control that. So that's why people stay in abusive relationships so long and stay in marriages so long. It's not a lot of times it's not for the kids or maybe it is. It's really what are people going to think of me? You know, and we're attached to we're attached to. And that's really the biggest prison but is that would what, be an ego centered. It's all ego. Right. Attachment is all. So when you're attached, when you're attached, you've accepted the ego as the absolute truth. Because if you're truly a spiritual being, you can navigate through anything. We go through things at the company, and I have to remind myself all the time that, you know, I'm a business owner. Things happen. There's sometimes where devastation's on the horizon. I have to ground myself and say, look, I don't know what's going to happen here. I have no idea what's going to happen. But whatever's going to happen, I have absolute faith in that it's for my greater good. We could collapse, right? At this, by the end of this week, we could be done. And I, and I have to, I have to have this dialogue with myself in that I don't control that. I'm doing the best I can. But if I'm attached to that, well, now the family starts to feel it. Now they're, they're going to get my attitude that I'm carrying with me. And now I might start trying to look for other things to try to take away this mental anguish that doesn't even belong when really I need to look at life as, look, it's impermanent. It's impermanent, and I have to roll with that no matter what it is. I mean, if I were to fall to cancer, you know, we've talked about that before, I have to roll with that. What in my head makes me believe I should live a healthy life? Why should I not have to rise to that challenge? It's attachment. It's attachment to the idea that, well, life is supposed to be all health, wealth, and happiness. It's not. It's, it's, it's everything. It's all-encompassing. And when you embrace impermanence, you're able to detach from the way you think things should be. And the first step is getting out of the ideas of other people. You know what I mean? What yeah. they think of you. That, that, that prison, man, that's a hard prison to live in. I find present time awareness to be the fundamental for non-attachment. Absolutely. You know, uh, if I'm thinking about the future or my expectations of the future or even my expectations of today or my expectations of other people's behavior or outcomes, those are all attachments. Yeah. Uh, expectation or happiness equals equals what what is it happiness equals something minus expectations i yeah. love it whatever it is I, I i gotta look that up no i'm not perfect in this to tell you the truth i'm real far real far from um my practice in a lot of this stuff um i still have expectations not as much as i used to um i usually don't have them placed on anyone's behavior that's uh, important uh, usually things associated with work or job or accomplishing things that I have set out for myself. But I need to remember that all I have is this moment, mm -hmm. the moment that I'm in now. And that if I do believe that there is no such thing as time and space, that this is where it's at, that the universe is going to co-create with me and that everything is impermanent and everything is always changing. And if it's ever-changing, the idea to have attachment to that ever-changing universe is almost pointless because it's it going is. to only disappoint 
once I lose the attachment that I've created. To this impermanent thing. Right. It can only disappoint if you're attached. If you're not attached, it's like the Tao says or, you know, Bruce Lee quoting the Tao, be like water. And that's that's hard. That's, that's hard when you're taught to strive for these things and be this person and you look like this, so do this, or you speak like this, so do this. You get these expectations pounded into you by your parents who are doing the best they could, right? But but then you carry that, and then your whole life is predicated on these expectations that were never even yours. That's what uh, Memoirs of an American Wannabe is about. It's about I went out, I chased acting, and it was fun. I, I went to school for finance and international business. I'm glad I did. But it had nothing to do – like I was into physics and astronomy and and I had – I remember at career day, my uh, counselor, she said, she said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to think I want to do something in astronomy or physics, something like that. I really had this thing. I wanted to go to the moon, right? And she looks at me and she says, well, how are you going to make money doing that from a poor neighborhood? And she's really doing the best. You're a good talker. Why don't we, I mean you could be an attorney but that's going to take eight years at least, blah, blah, blah. She's like, you could go straight to New York and be a stockbroker. Light bulb goes off. Go to school for finance and international business. It wasn't my dream. That was manufactured for me. And then Hollywood seemed like a, a good way out of being poor. It really wasn't about the art because I didn't know anything about it. I did one play and said, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And I went out there and, and uh, eventually I wound up falling in love with the art. You know, it was an inadvertent consequence. But that was manufactured too. All of it so that nobody could make fun of me for being poor ever again. But you see what you're saying is that you were attached to things that were manufactured. Absolutely. They weren't even your own. Right. You were attached to other people's ideas. Ideas. That you thought would serve you. And they, they became mine for the time And it being. became your reality. And then when I didn't achieve these things that weren't even mine, devastated. You know, and I'm a severe right. case of PTSD. So my devastation is like this is life or this this little gig you didn't get, that's life or death. You might as well die now. So I didn't reach my goals that were manufactured for someone else. So the goals I set in a manufactured reality that I attached to, I didn't reach and now I'm devastated. Now, I'm dev now my right. life is shit. You know, I'm a shitty person. Do you know how fucked up that sounds? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's I, the paradox. I, I've I've done it too. Yeah. You know, I've done it too, but it just it, and I think that's a lot of us out there. It's everyone. I won't say everyone, but there's a lot of people who are going to school and getting educated and taking careers and living lives that they they're living someone else's Trick. advice. Yeah, because yeah. that may not be the truth of their inner spirit you know it and it's and that's perfect too right that then to to overcome that it just makes you stronger the the sad part and I, I don't know if it's sad maybe that's just what this universe is and and even if you are a materialist uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed so your consciousness goes someplace else but if you're a spiritualist well maybe you're reincarnated maybe you know, this is just the journey. The dimension of broken dreams. Right. <laughs> and, and that's a kind of a hell, right? It is. It's that's what of, they say. Yeah, it's a kind of a hell. It's it's crazy. It's crazy, but that, but it's not. It's not. We're born and we have to attach for survival. Our souls don't have to attach to anything. 
but they, they take the back seat so we can get our we can get our milk we can get our diapers changed we can you know we we need that attend we and then we live in that space and then as adults unless and and this is where things like addiction compulsions mental illness this is where there there can be a huge benefit because what it does is it number one it makes you feel alienated from the quote unquote normal world so you you kind of detach inadvertently from because you have to if there's no choice there and and then you kind of have to spend some time with yourself learning about you because you were forced in that position if i weren't forced into the position to have to contemplate my 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 self whatever my self is if i wasn't forced into that i'd never done it i would have been a cocky arrogant controlling asshole that thought he knew everything and hid behind my my intellectual prowess and my ability to speak, and I would have died an asshole. And then I probably would have been eighty some years old on my deathbed, wondering where did it all go. And and this is that's fairly common. That that yeah. demise is fairly common. And detachment from these ideas doesn't mean you don't love things. I love the hell out of my kids. I love the hell. There's things that I hold very dear. I know we were talking about that. How do you practice non-attachment with children? So Khalil Gibran, he uh, are you familiar with him? He's a poet. Not so much. I, I can't remember from what century. But I told you I wasn't a reader. But the, he he did this poem called "On Children," and he speaks of he speaks of God or spirit or the divine as the archer, and the archer's job is to hold the arrow steady. So that it hits the target. You as a parent, the, the child is the arrow, or me as the arrow, the divine as the archer. Once you let that arrow go, that arrow has to go. You can't follow the arrow. You can't grab on. Some parents don't want to let that arrow go. And and that, that arrow can never hit the target. So that's how it's not that I, I love my kids dearly. The worst pain I can contemplate is if something devastating were to happen to them. But at a certain point, if, if I truly believe in the spiritual principles that, that I, I speak about and that I, I have to work daily to implement a second nature into my life, if I truly believe this, I have to let them go. I have to let them be their own people. And I have to allow for the fact that as, as much as I'm impermanent, so are they. It doesn't mean I'm not going to grieve if something bad happened. You know, my son, he he had this thing go on with his stomach. I didn't know if his appendix burst. I, I'm going to his school. He's doubled over. It was devastating to me. I, I'd never had anybody that close to me in that kind of pain and me not be able to do anything. So I'm sitting, and it turned out being nothing. He was okay. I don't know if it was gas or they thought maybe early onset appendicitis. He's fine. But... He's wailing in the hospital, wailing, and and it's so it was so painful. Now, me a few years ago, I'm starting fights with the doctor, the nurse. What the fuck? You know what I mean? That's what I'm doing. But I sat there and I kept grounding myself, and I said, if he sees you, if he sees you act up, and what life is impermanent, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. So I'm saying these little mantras to myself. But inside, I'm devastated, and I'm combating the fact that I'm attached to the belief that my kid should be healthy. 
Well, no, that that's not how life works. Or were you Sometimes, attached to the outcome that he might not be healthy? That that's fear, right? You're attached to the fear that yeah. So it was one or the other. The person that would have got up and started a fight because that that was the gut instinct is what the fuck are you doing, my son? And you, you, you know what I mean? That that was the egoic Don't you instinct. Know who I am? Yeah, that was the egoic instinct. Go out there and get yeah. somebody get in here right now, and and you know what I mean. Yeah. So if I were attached, that's what it would have been. And it would have been both things. There's fear. So I'm attached to the fear that I could lose my son. That's the kind of thing that's going on in my head. I don't know what's happening. And then the other, the other attachment is that, well, he should be okay. I think there's always – it's always two-pronged. But what about the thought, where is God in all that? Well, that's where absolute faith comes in. So when you embrace impermanence – when you em- embrace impermanence, you have to have absolute faith. So, and and this is it's hard to say, but I these are the things I contemplate because I I'm not interested in soulless pursuits anymore. Anything that doesn't take me to a higher level of consciousness, it does not interest me. I I, I would like to embody Christ consciousness before I leave this planet. I would love to do that. That's the goal. So I have to think about okay, if I were to lose my kid, there's it's hard, and I don't want to keep saying it. I don't want to manifest some bad shit, but life is impermanent, right. and it, it means something, and it, you don't always get the meaning, and that doesn't mean that that meaning, what, what the events that transpire, doesn't mean that they don't rock you to your core, but in that rocking you to, you to your core, your response to that is what determines your frequency. So, so I prepare myself. And I don't know that I'll be prepared if any, because that's I can't think of anything else that'll rattle me. PTSD think, will kick in. I don't think you're ever really prepared for that one, you know. Uh, and I don't I don't want to too much because, no. like I said, I don't want to manifest some no. bullshit. It's the it's the journey. It is the journey, and I have to understand that I'm here for a purpose. I'm in spiritual alignment. If I practice non-attachment, and I live my purpose along with my journey and I'm trying to enjoy the journey as best I can and all that God has to offer uh, and the faith that my children's journey that I'll be able to enjoy it with them mm-hmm. for the time that we have right for the time that we have mm-hmm. because there is the principle is there's no such thing as time and space so when people that loved ones and people that are close to me, you know, go to the upper room or transcend, they're still here. They're just in different dimensional because nothing ever goes. Right. It's it's all permanent. Right. That's that's the only permanence. Right. The only the only absolute truth is that everything's impermanent. Exactly. In, in the material plane. I heard this great it's one of the best metaphors that I've heard for consciousness. So I can't remember. It was Rupert Spira. It was the – what was the book? It was uh, The Nature of Consciousness, Unity of Mind and Matter. Amazing book. Really, really deep and really intense. But uh, he, made, he made the metaphor or the analogy of consciousness being this – this permanent tapestry, right? This this movie screen, he would call it. 
So that's God. If your perception of God, whatever it is, God, the divine, if if your higher self, what, whatever, all of it, the the energy field, the ether, as it used to be. So ethos, yeah. So there's so there's this screen, and it's unchanging. It's permanent. It's it goes on to infinity. Meanwhile, on the screen, there's all these different projections playing out, which is us. We're the, we're the projections. We're part of this tapestry and we, we come into and out of existence. And I, I can't say how that happens or why that happens, but that, that metaphor for that permanence and this constant playing out of scenarios on this screen and us being a part of that. That that resonated with me. It, you know that, that that makes me think about impermanence in a different way. Because if that energy, which is the 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 projection on the screen, is just it's it's never going anywhere. It's still part of the tapestry and of the movie screen. It's just changing forms throughout right. the course of eternity. Right. Another one that I heard, I can't remember who this was, but she was on Russell Brand's podcast, and she talked about. In tapestry is a common, you know, even in Buddhist principle or Buddhist teachings, they talk about the tapestry and the the weaving together of it. She said, when you turn a tapestry on the opposite side of its face, all you see are a bunch of little knots, and it looks really kind of gross. You're not going to hang that side on your wall. It looked, and this is what the human experience is. It's rough, right? It, things are being woven together. You turn that tapestry over which would be God, the divine, or whatever you want to call that, it's a beautiful picture. Right. But you got all these knots on the other side, and it takes all these knots and the, the manifestation on the divine side of the knot to create this thing of beauty. On the other side, it's a fucking mess, you know, which is the human condition. But in the human condition, the, the thing is when we aspire to these principles – that, look, anybody can say that if I'm not attached to outcomes, I can be happy. There's a fine line between that and complacency, right? You know, you, you can use that as a scapegoat to not do anything. And that's that's the opposite. If you're spiritually motivated, I find that to be hard. If you're spiritually motivated. If you're not, I met a lot of people when I first moved out to L.A. They, not uh, a lot of spiritually motivated people. Well, and a lot of people would call themselves actors because they didn't have to get a real <laughs> job then, right? So I'm an actor. Right. And, and now you can just disappear into right. that. So that's the opposite side of the spectrum where you can, you can say I'm, I'm not attached to that. And then if you do that, you could be of the avoidant personality type where – there's really some shit going on that you just don't want to bring to the surface. Fine line, man. It's it's a fine line. You got to find that balance between the two because we are dualistic, but we am, we are we are confined to these five senses. No matter how much we meditate in a day, no matter if you're a Buddhist monk in the mountains of Tibet and you're doing it ten hours a day, you still got to sleep, and when you wake up, you still got to piss. These things still have to – and these yeah. are very much human things. So we have to find a way to fluctuate back and forth. The only way to do that effortlessly is through detachment, detachment of ideas that imprison us. So the million-dollar question that I was talking about oh. came from a guy that uh, – one of the clinicians at work. It was – today's topic was pretty tricky. And uh, he his question was what – in us decides who and what 
we attach to. It's programmed. It's pro in these these modes of attachment when we're children. So so eliminate. Try to not use ego in this. It's it's the only place where it exists, though, is ego, because the soul doesn't use it. But if I'm if I'm of love and compassion, mm-hmm. your attachment to your children is not based in the ego. But I'm not so, attached. Let's say, uncondition. I love them unconditionally. Right. Infinitely compassionate. We were talking more like, so you have the ego on one side and unconditional love on the other. They are opposites. Opposites. Complete polar opposites. Yeah. So where in there does attachment lie and how does it decide? Where, Where in between does attachment lie? How does attachment decide what it attaches to? Well, it is predetermined in the way that we interact with our caregivers. So if I've detached from my caregivers. Or the groundwork that they laid for you. So if if you fall into one of the – if you're avoidant because your needs weren't met as a child. John Bradshaw talks about the roles that we take on it. So – there's scapegoat, there's overachiever, there's victim. There's these roles that we take on as children and it's based on th- those early interactions with the caregivers. If we're in a foster home and we continue to get pushed around from house, it's going it, to – it lays the groundwork for the things that we attach to. Me, and I don't know if this is answering the question, but me, I grew up poor. I grew up poor and – Honestly, I don't care about being poor. I didn't care about being poor until somebody made fun of me for being poor. Then I realized I was poor when I was a kid. Then all of a sudden I had to fix that because the pain of that ridicule – and again, this is a kid with severe PTSD. The pain of that ridicule was I just want to die because I'm wearing floods, so kill me. It was that bad. It was that dark. That's what led me to my attachments to – power to Hollywood to people places and things I had to make myself feel good on the exterior because I didn't know what a soul was I, I wasn't in t- I, as soon as as soon as I started to feel this devastation because the outside world ridiculed me I had to make the outside world love me and and that's where my attachments came from so let's say I've detached from expectations, people, outcomes. Let's mm-hmm. say I live in present time awareness and non-attachment. Mm-hmm. And I live a purpose-driven life and I'm attached to my purpose. You know, there's a lot of light workers and healers that are here on the planet living out their purpose. They came here for a purpose and they're living out their purpose and they're attached to their purpose. What what the my friend was saying was because when we were talking about the unconditional love on one side and the ego on the other, he was saying, because he, he was joking, isn't it the human condition to have attachments 
to those things that we love unconditionally. See, that's where semantics can can come because now connection and attachment are different. I'm connected with my children into infinity. When when this life ends, that connection will go and and, and it will probably continue through quantum entanglement into the ether. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but that it's going to be a different thing then. It's going to because I think as a soul. That connection never – the true connection will never end. So even though their souls went to the other side of the universe or the infinite ether or whatever you want to call it, even though they're there, the connection is undying. And I think as a soul, you know that. So as a human being trying to attune yourself to to this infiniteness, this oneness, I know that I'll never not be connected. Now, connected is different than attachment. If I were to attach now, when when a parent attaches himself to their kids, and and a lot of times that's unhealthy. When you're attached to your children, a lot of times it's a codependent thing, and you need them to fill a, a void inside you, make you feel like you make you feel better about yourself. I don't. He was talking like uh, you know, I want the best for my daughter. Absolutely, and I relate. That's to an that. attachment. That's not though. You can want the best. See, okay, so if if you're attached to wanting the best, it's a tricky your, question. It's a tricky question, is. no doubt. It is, and it's a good conversation. So I want the best for my kids. They might not do the best. They, they you might get picked on in school. The old me, the attached me. I'm going to go to the school, and I'm I might I might catch a case for beating up a kid. You know, I mean? not really, but right. but that's the kind of shit that would go on in my head. Because I'm attached to the idea that, well, nobody should mess with my kids because I love them. No, this is life. I had to go through it. They have to go through it. I want the best for for my child. Do I love my child any less if he winds up living in my basement till he's 50? I won't allow that to happen. But I'm just saying the <laughs> unconditional love is the unconditional love. Now, right. if I'm attached to the idea that – that Or maybe that's codependence. <laughs> both. Right. You know what I, yeah. yeah that, and it would be. Yeah. It would be. 50 is a little – 23 maybe, 24. Yeah, no, you got to go. Yeah, you got to you go. get a job sometime. And I'm breeding them for that, right? right. That I want you guys to go experience life. I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you my experience and I'm going to be real honest about it. I'm writing a, a book about it. You can read. You right. know, I'm not holding I'm not pulling any punches here because I'm trying to prepare you for the time where you're not with me. I want the best for my child. I can't be attached to what my vision of the best for them is because maybe the best for my son is to go to prison and learn that. And then, can you, get, you know, what, whatever it is, right. I don't know what that is. So attachment is I have a preconceived notion of what the best for my child is. I don't know what that is. Or are you trusting the universe in the non-attachment theory that the universe knows what's best for my children? The universe knows what's best. I'm here to support. I'm here to pull this arrow and guide them in the best way I know how. Right. And I don't even – and if I'm relying on my ego to tell me what the best way is, well, I've already fucked up. You know what I mean? I've already – so my ego has all these outcomes that I would love for my children. But that's not – that's not what it is. So I ha- I just have to shower them with unconditional love. So attachment is different. It- it's different because it's based on preconceived notions, and I still have them. As much as I 
as much as I believe in practicing detachment, it's still there. It's still there and I still got to combat it. But that's that that's the human condition is that we're ingrained with with these go to mechanisms. And then when we start to understand what oneness and spirituality and all of this is, we have to we have to no doubt. I mean, non-attachment. A lot of the Eastern philosophy and, and Buddhist principles are all if you truly do work them and practice them. It is going to completely and utterly rewire your programming that you've been programmed here in America. Mm-hmm. It will literally rip out all the cords and make you have to do some sort of reconnection. Mm-hmm. It's like people who are attached to their religion who don't who don't have any open mindedness about anything else. Always bad. If I'm not open to receiving other spiritual principles other than the ones I was taught with, tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is one of the ego's best friends. That is that's that's the epitome of attachment. Now I start talking mine is better than yours. Now I'm start talking selective. You're not like me. You're not in. Now I'm ego driven. Yeah. Now things of the nature of I'm better than you. That's where a lot of division comes in. And that's where a lot of this country's at now. Because I've attached to my culture. I've attached to my race. I've attached to to my religion. I'm attached to the flag. I'm attached to my social class. I'm attached to my job. I'm attached to my phone. I believe this. I believe this is me. Right. I identify I've created this, this reality for myself. Or it's been created and now I've agreed to perpetuate it. Now, truth, you don't know the truth of who you are because you've been wearing 20 or 30 different masks or around different people. Ooh, different culture, different mask. You know? Especially, you know, if you have a nice tan, you can you can play the card of different cultures. Well I'm this and I'm that Mm -hmm. to blend in. So that I'm socially acceptable wherever I go. But yet you're attached to the need to be liked by everyone. Right. Right. Thus, my ego is on overload. And it's all ego. And you are so far from God when you're at that place that you don't even know who you are anymore. You know what's funny is even in religion, they'll uh, – and you, you can tell in or a, a lot of organized religions, it's man-made, right? The concepts are man-made. So – Getting to the pearly gates and seeing your family again. Right. Look, there's there's going to come a point. I got to see the man with the great beard. You don't need to. <laughs> you know, what, no matter what it is that we, when our bodies, when we leave this body, no matter what happens after that, you don't care about those things anymore because you are one. You're infinitely connected. And if you're infinitely connected, there is no death. There you're gonna, is. You're going to bring your fork? I'll, br- I'll bring my fork. Yeah. I I'll was bring- there. I was there. I didn't want to. <laughs> I was in a, a weird mood, but I thought that service was great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. Talk about non-attachment. Yeah. You know, that was a perfect, the 23rd Psalm. Yeah. It was a perfect, it was perfect 
system of how I walk through the valley and I'm not attached to anything. All I know is that I'm one with my creator. It's all going to be good. These things happen. Life happens. It's part of the journey. And the best is saved for last. So I better bring a fork because that's where dessert. dessert. Yep. That's where the dessert's at. After my struggle, after I walk through the valley of death, that's when I get my cake. You think about it for a a person like Jesus Christ who, and I I love Wayne Dyer's studies and wisdom of the ages where he, he took, I think it was 60 of the greatest speakers, teachers, spiritual leaders, of all time, people like Christ and Gandhi and um, Mother Teresa and all these people. And he found these three traits that were common among all of them, all of them, without question. They were unattached to the good opinion of others. They were not attached to outcome. They were not power driven. Those three things, that's a purpose driven life. You think about somebody like Christ whose demise is pain. Right. You, you know, you're you're hanging from a cross and you're being persecuted for living these spiritual principles. So what happens after that? That that always fascinates me thinking about to be that. So the way I see it is, OK, well, God consciousness is next. You've lived that purpose. And what you've what you've extended to the universe by simply being a light, standing fast in your truth because we all have goals, right? We, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who call themselves healers, and and that's 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 great, and that's a nice aspiration to to want to be a healer. Really, and this is just my opinion, and everyone can tell me to go to hell, but I, I think your only responsibility is to be a light. So, you're you're born into a world where the lights are off. And then you come into being, and now you got to navigate your way through. And I, for me, it's like Christ, be a light. I don't always know what the light is. I don't always know where it is. There's still a, a shroud of shit that hits me, that, you know, not as much as it used to, but there's still things that I have to navigate through, darkness. And sometimes I'm not going to see it. But you, you see a person like Christ who and, – and Christ was raised by the ancient Essenes. And from birth, and I think this is with any – human child if you if you nurture them in an environment that says you're this these are the spiritual principles and you keep them away from the outside interference from the outside world well i think anybody can walk on water and that's what christ taught is that no you can do this you can do greater you know um that's non-attachment that's non-attachment because all these things that are going on around us it's easy to attach to them because you're in a place where attachment is supported. Well, the business is attachment. Well, that's – I mean that, that all that – all Commercials are all based on attachment. Consumerism. Consumerism is all based yeah. on attachment. Yep. If I'm bombarded by that 24-7 – and that energy frequency, I'm still exerting energy to not be bombarded by it. But I still see it. It still registers. It has you know, to. when things pop up on the phone, when things pop up on the computer. Oh, I need that. You know, it's not even that I need it. I just I just look at 
I'm I'm tired now. Like how much more shit do you got to bring? You know, everything is a fucking commercial. And it I don't understand. It's just like it's just so overpowering now. It it's just everywhere everywhere you go. Everywhere you go there's a commercial. Is that happening to you or for you? Because how how do you stand fast in your truth against that? And what type of beauty can you instill into whatever your surrounding universe is by standing fast in your truth in opposition to the things that you know are dysfunctional? So in this dysfunction, you know, uh, you know, I teach, I teach at my work, you know, and I teach those that are coming coming up. You know, there's a lot of kids, you know, the adolescent group, a couple of kids are like, you know, applying for credit cards. I'm like, just remember when it says 29%, that's $29 on $100. So if you go rack something up, your interest rate is going to be $29 on $100. And I'm like, do the math. That's almost a third. They're like, What? Kids don't understand mathematics like that. Like money stuff, like they don't – they're not registering that. Like my old man was like real precise about different stuff. And, you know, I just continue to pass on the knowledge that was given to me. Do I watch, Do I see – am I bombarded by commercialism and everything? Sure. Do I pay attention to it? I find it very interesting. It's almost like a sociological experience. That's that was you know, my point. Is that's really what like it is if, for if you're going down seventy five, do you see how many billboards there are? When you're watching a sporting event, do you see how many like advertisements and sponsors there are just watching the game on whatever, you know, Fox Detroit watching the Tigers game. I, I find this stuff truly like they're they're seeking my attention to attach me, and I find it even more interesting. Well, and it's that psychologically, psychologically, this is a thing. Attachment theory, it's a it's a genuine thing. So when when the powers that be are studying the psychology of how do you get people to consume, how do you get people to fall into line, well, you know. You know, if you, all you have to do is know that, and then you know what parts of people you, that you can play into. And there's no, it's not a surprise that that most of us will die attached to the physical universe. That we're going to die attached to the five senses. We're going to believe that they're the absolute truth. What's the alternative? Transcend transcendence. So I transcend, but I'm still gonna. Won't my physical being still still here? So like the Buddhist who has to take a piss in the morning, uh, up in the, it's it's still my physical body's still going to be here. So I get in, I got into a debate with a friend of mine, and she she was saying there can be a healthy ego. Again, we we delve into the realm of semantics. The only see, I, I don't think to be subordinate means healthy. So the only quote unquote healthy ego that's possible is one that is subordinate to your higher self. It has to fall in the line. It, it has to dissipate. It cannot be it cannot be the prevailing force. If it is, you suffer. 
You suffer because the ego is the belief that the physical realm is the absolute truth, that nothing lies beyond the five senses. You remain confined. It's a prison. Now, I, I, don't, I can't sit here and attest to the reality of God. I, I believe it, in, in my transcendent moments, I've felt the oneness. I've felt, I've felt thing, something that I can't really explain to somebody who hasn't felt that. And You feel connected every day, though, don't you? But I also feel disconnected, right? So it's in and out. I, because my ego is still prevalent, I have to speak to the ego. I have to – this is where affirmations and mantras become so important. But I, I do. Like I, but sometimes I – not sometimes – Almost all the time, I have to bring myself back to connect. I'll step outside, and if I grab this, it means something. It'll ground me. If I go outside and I look at the stars, I'll feel this sense of connection. There's something about a breeze that, that, that were there, a, a summer breeze under the stars that that takes me to a different place that lets me know that this is just this, and that happens in meditation too. But it, you got to work. I'll tell that negative ego to eat shit. You know, especially when it chimes in that you're not good enough, where I, the judgment comes in. You know, it's got to have some sort. You have to retaliate against it. So the ego believes everything that you know. For me, and I, I still remember this. My dad saying, "You're a piece of shit. You ain't ever gonna be shit. five. The fuck. You know what I mean? What, what does that even mean? But it, it stays. Oh yeah. It stays in the subconscious. This is back in the amygdala. You know what I mean? This is this is, is that a trauma? Amygdala? Well, no, the, what, what you remembered. Yeah, because it, it inadequacy is a big thing. Yeah. And that, it's yeah. a big thing. Now, not consciously. Consciously, I know that this is bullshit, that I've risen above circumstances that should have had me in a much different place. Prison, dead. Definitely not where I am in life. Definitely not sitting here speaking these principles with you. Stereotypically, I don't belong here. So consciously, I can step outside of myself when I have all my wits about me and say, and I know you can too, and say, it's pretty fucking good, man. You know, and 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 to and go ahead and give yourself a pat on the not an egoic pat on the back, but yeah, you you deserve a little something for that. Yeah. It was hard for me to do that for a long time because what what's back there and when when I'm triggered and you know, different from alcohol, where in alcoholism. In order for the disease to be triggered, the substance has to come into play. Or With mental, P or mental. In PTSD, it's sensory. Yeah. I don't, I don't control it. Like in Vegas, I don't. I, all the lights and all the shit that took me to a, this feeling of deep, deep inadequacy to where I just got to get the fuck out of here. Right. I couldn't control that. I could live in a bubble, but it's funny. I walk into my house and just the feeling of being alone on the weeks I don't have my kids, it triggers something. I know it's bullshit. It's not in real life. I have to go through the CPT therapy where I'm, I'm like, okay, so why do you feel – what's that connected to? Because that has nothing to do with life right now. Right. What triggered it? So it's, it's constant work. But on the other side of the, the work, because I think we can get bogged down in the work factor to where we're just working against this negative force. And that's – there's no life in that. There's no beauty in that. So – we talked about it in Refuge. you got to put something on the other side of that river. When you're rowing the rowboat away from the waterfall that's, that's trying to suck you in, you got to put something on the other side that you're rowing towards. For me, that's transcendence. There's a light that I can't describe. Yeah, that's always the goal for us. Transcendence. Yeah, for most light workers or, yeah. you know, 
And in that transcendence, you don't have to do anything but transcend. No. And then people... I continually move forward towards a spiritual progression, which eventually will be transcendence. And you're the light. Right. In that space, you're the light. And right. you don't know how you're going to illuminate those around you. Never do. But just be the light. I, I always hashtag that Gandhi, be the change. I mean, that's that's what it's about, being the change. We're, we're brought into a cycle. So break that cycle. Be the change. You've done service to your time here on this planet. And in that service, I can't be attached to what my kid's going to do for right, his career. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Love them, love my children to death. Teach them how to be the change. And that that's all I can. That's all I can do. And I, you know, I in in that regard, I'm proud because I don't put too much on them. I give them options. You know, freedom. and I teach them follow your heart. Freedom. Are we? Freedom to choose and freedom to be and freedom to change is. And that's all we want, right? To feel safe. The best we, thing we wanna, you can do. We want to know. know that we can make choices freely without being ridiculed. And because the physical universe, what surrounds us, will ridicule, ridicule you when you don't right. fall into line, you have to be able to detach from that. Right. You have to. Otherwise, you stay imprisoned. And that's – and I lived. And that, was de- that wasn't living. You know, it, it's maybe only three, four years that I've, I've come out on the other side and that doesn't mean I'm free from the possibility of bondage at any given moment, but it does mean that I can navigate through these things much better than I ever used to. It's a grow as you go. Bondage will, you know, I'll, I'll shackle myself in times where things are not. Up to expectation. Right. Yeah. 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 What's that? Well, we're getting the signals over here from yeah, the yeah. boss man. Yeah, so, you got anything in closing? In harmony, I think all things, uh, non attachment exists um, with the universe and with the creator. I believe that it's once we place expectations or my ego gets involved that harmony is disrupted. It's disrupted. The frequency can't flow. It's at that point things are disrupted and you suffer. So, and that's what's beautiful about the universe is we, we, view, we view a supernova as cataclysmic, right? But what does that create? It does. It's, to, to our human minds, that's cataclysmic, that explosion and the power that comes from that. But that's why we're here, because I, I don't think the, I don't think fourteen billion years eliminates the possibility of a creator. I right. Th- I think it's all you know. I think everything's intermeshed. But yeah, we could talk forever on this. Yeah. But I, I think uh, this was a challenging one, brother. You know, it's it's a challenge every day. It's it's a it's a it's a challenging practice, but it's necessary. It is, and I, and I fully, I fully believe this is one of the principles that changed my life. That and being grateful for your pain, but you can't be grateful for your pain unless you're unattached to the idea that you shouldn't be in pain. It's, it's life. It right. comes. It happens. So yeah, we gotta, we gotta wrap it up, guys. But thank you everybody for, uh, for the continued comments, the ideas. Next week we're gonna drop a bomb and we're gonna talk about God, existence, non-existence, what that concept is. We're going to unpack that for you, and, and uh, 
we'll see where it goes from there. But thank you for tuning in for those who did and those who do. We'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you next time.